13. We'll finish the 13th chapter today. Not often I get through, the, through a chapter in just three parts, so I'm feeling really good about that. Uh, starting with verse 22, we'll be reading 22 through 35. And when I was watching Pastor Chuck, he said the first time he went to the book on Romans on Wednesday night, he said, it, he, said that he started with the book of Romans and it took him two years, so I, I felt good again. Now later, Chuck ended up getting really fast through books. If you've ever, how many of you have listened to Chuck on the radio? And you know, you'll see sometimes he'll just kind of go through four or five chapters. Uh, but when he, uh, when he first started going verse by verse the Bible, and that's about the pace that we're at. If you're uh, visiting with us, we do go verse by verse. Uh, we're currently in the book of Ezekiel, not for the next couple of Wednesdays. We're taking a break uh, with the video and, and me doing the Israel uh, in pictures. But also, uh, we, we are doing Ezekiel. Uh, we'll get back into that in June. And then on Sundays, we're in the book of Luke. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along with us, just raise your hand. Uh, we'll be glad to put one in your hand. Uh, we understand that uh, not everybody necessarily has one. Great. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. And I'll be, uh, again, reading from verse 22 through 35. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter the narrow gate, for many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? And then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and we taught in your streets and you, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping. And gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. On that very day, some Pharisees came saying, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I, may, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who sent, sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me again until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Father, we ask again for your spirit so present in our worship now that you would be present in illuminating and teaching your word. Uh, may we be hearers and doers of all that you would have us to receive this morning and it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's word, Narrow But Worth It. Narrow But Worth It. And I'll actually close with, I'm not going to go through these at, at the outset, but I'll close with three focus areas. Uh, 
specifically for believers. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a believer, I'll close with three areas uh, that I think we can learn from this text. That's a warning to both lost and saved. But we'll, look, we'll close with three areas. Uh, be wise, be working, and be willing. But I want to take a step back before we close with those three things that, that I think are very instructive to us as Christians. And I want to first give a wider overview uh, of this scene that takes place and the context of who Christ is speaking to, uh, who he's speaking with, and then we'll take uh, the remainder of the time to look at how we as followers of Christ can continue to apply this teaching to our lives today. Now Luke starts out here, and he starts out letting us know that Jesus was moving through various villages and sharing and teaching. Those of you that have been to Israel, uh, you know how the, the landscape is dotted with villages, and because the, the, the terrain is, is, is mountainous and hilly, uh, you can oftentimes be in one village, and you can peer across a valley, and you can see the other village, and uh, when, when, when it's nighttime, you see them lit up on the city hill lights, and if it's in the valley, you see them down there. And it's in daytime, most, so many of the buildings uh, in Israel have that whitish uh, look to the buildings, uh, the limestone, so you can see them uh, quite easily in the daytime as well. But Jesus would move from these villages to villages, and he was sharing and teaching, uh, but his destination was Jerusalem. As he went through these villages, Luke tells us that he was uh, destined or headed towards Jerusalem. Now, it's believed that based on Matthew 19.1 and uh, Mark 10.1 and John 10.40, that Jesus, he had moved his ministry around this time. He had moved his ministry from Galilee, where he'd done the vast majority of his ministry was up in the Galilean area, uh, which would be kind of midway through the uh, Sea of Galilee on either side of the coast, all that area, particularly the west side and the north side of the Sea of Galilee. But he had moved his ministry, as he gets closer to the cross, he had moved the ministry east of the Jordan River in an area known as Perea. And it's likely uh, that as he ministered in Perea, he would also come over at times into Judea, which would be on the west side of the Jordan River, which would be our side here, uh, of the Jordan. Uh, and we know that he went to Jerusalem at least once prior to his final ascension to Jerusalem. Uh, he went there once for the Feast of Tabernacles. He went there once for the Feast of Dedication. The exact timing is unclear uh, of when he went to Feast of Dedication, Feast of Tabernacles, but Luke's emphasis here, Luke's emphasis is not so much uh, a specific uh, time that he went to Jerusalem, but Luke's emphasis here is that Jesus' eyes and his heart were fixed on Jerusalem. Though he went from village to village, and every time he was in those villages, he was 100% engaged with those people, and yet his mind and his heart was set on Jerusalem. In Luke 9.51, go back a few chapters, you don't have to turn there, but, but in Luke 9.51, you'll remember, and I've cited this a couple of times just through the study, in Luke 9.51, Luke records that Jesus, he said, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that's, that's, that, that's that part of the will that you say, I am steadfastly set on heaven. And Jesus was steadfastly set on Jerusalem though he would go through these villages and he spent time healing people 
as he said, tell that fox, we'll get to that part in a few minutes, uh, that I have to cure and cast out demons. And he would continue to do the day in and day out work of loving people, meeting them where they're at, ministering. But where was his heart and mind? Golgotha, Jerusalem. Notice that although Jesus was intent on fulfilling his mission on the cross, Luke's emphasis is that he's, he's headed to Jerusalem. Every step he takes is ultimately a step to Jerusalem. Doesn't matter if he goes south, doesn't matter if he goes west, doesn't matter if he goes east. Any direction is still, and that's kind of an interesting thing because you say, well, that's not headed to Jerusalem. If you're headed to Perea, that's the other side of the Jordan. That would be modern-day Jordan today. That's not going to Jerusalem. Yes, his feet are on a winding path. It's like Paul, when he got saved, little did Paul know, his entire life was on a winding path to Rome. And he wasn't set on Rome. Later he would be set on Rome, but at the outset he didn't know God had set him on Rome. Paul, you're going to someday stand before kings and priests and you're going to, or kings and rulers and you're going to uh, represent me. He didn't realize that he would go all the way to Caesar. But Jesus did know exactly from the time he had come to earth exactly where he was headed. So no matter where he went, he was on his way to Jerusalem. But notice that as he was intent on fulfilling this mission, as we see from the text, as he goes through these villages, he had the time. Now make that he made the time to share with these people. Village after village, soul after soul. He made that time. And it's during one of those interactions with people in one of these villages, we don't know exactly which village it was, but he gets this question. And this question is still being asked 2,000 years later. And here's the question. Someone says, Lord, are just a few people going to be saved? You ever thought about that question? You ever thought about how many people will actually be saved? You ever had the person ask you, what about the person in Africa? What about them? What about the person in Australia? What about the Aborigine that never heard? What about this? What about that? Well, I can assure you that Paul writes of this in Romans that no man is without excuse. And I'll share a story with you in just a few minutes that God is coming to people no matter where they're at. But the issue of whether few will be saved or many will be saved is an issue of the heart of each hearer. It's a great question, though. It's a fair question to ask the Lord. And more importantly, uh, I think... Um, it's a question that should stir us that, Lord, what should we be doing that there's not a few saved? What can we be doing to be laboring in the vineyard with you? But this question, I think it may have been prompted by observation. What do I mean by that? Well, people that had been watching the ministry of Jesus and hearing what he said, if you heard what, heard what he said and you saw what was going on, you might ask the same question, say, uh, I'm not, seeing, I'm, not seeing a, I'm not seeing people flock from all over the world to see you like they did Solomon. We're seeing multitudes, but not on the order of someone who's going to be king of the world. Someone who's the Messiah. Why are not 100% of all Jewish people following you? Because the religious leaders, they don't believe in you. Are there going to be a lot of people saved, or is there going to be a few? In John 6, 66, 
uh, it tells us there that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Do you realize in the ministry of Jesus, there was a time when a certain group, a very large number of people said, we've followed you long enough, we're not following anymore. We haven't seen you set up your kingdom. We haven't gotten rich following you yet. We haven't seen all of our dreams come true, even though they had seen many great things. They had seen people cast out with him. They had seen God do miracles, but a great many, according to John 66, walked away. That's where Jesus said, are you going to leave me also? Peter's like, well, where else, where else could we possibly go but to stay with you? Which is a wise answer. But there came a time in the ministry of Jesus that some of the multitudes began to get smaller. Still a good crowd, but not a magnificent crowd. You know? It was still... You ever seen... Um, I've seen this in uh, uh, sports where, you know, maybe a university remembers, I remember the days when you couldn't find a parking spot. It was the days when we, were, we would go 10-1 and one every year, 11-1 and one every year, and you couldn't even find a seat. How's that, like, how's that look like today? Well, now there's a lot of empty seats. Who's left? The committeds. The diehards. The ones that really say, well, I was there... Not just for the winning. I was there because I just love the university or I love the team. There comes a time in Jesus' ministry the multitudes would get, would get a little smaller. There'd be a reduction in size. And even those that would continuously come and listen, take the 12 disciples, but not just the 12, many beyond the 12, the Marys, the Marthas, the Mag, uh, all the, Mary Magdalene, all these others that would follow, they would continuously come and listen to Jesus and I am certain that these committed disciples, and part of this question of, are there only going to be a few saved, that they were observing that some of the people that were coming and listening really weren't committed. They were there physically, but they weren't with Jesus. And so the question is, Lord, we already seen a bunch leave. We're thinking there's some here that want to leave and aren't really with you. And they could see a difference in those that were hearing and believing versus those that were simply hearing. Many were still probably comparing Christ to their other options. I could follow Jesus. I could see if he really is the real deal. Or I could go back to staunch religious following of, of Judaism like the Pharisees tell us. Or maybe some other religion or some pagan religion. But Jesus himself had said in Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in it. So Jesus had already said earlier in his teaching, he said, if you're going to follow me, you have to enter a very narrow gate. There is a, he said, there's a broad road that you can go on, and many are traveling. Matter of fact, they're on cruise control down that broad road, and you can go down that road, but he said it leads to destruction. You know, in our life, and certainly in Jesus' time as well, there are so many roads that one can enter. Isn't there? There's so many roads. 
Very few of those roads, and if you've been, and I, you've been here any length of time, you've heard me say this from time to time, very few of the roads that lead to destruction say this way to destruction. Very few of the roads say this way to hell. Very few of the roads say this way to utter, complete darkness. A few do. There are a handful of people that say, I'm going to hell and I'm a member of the satanic church. You've seen them on TV interviews and stuff like that. And say, I worship Satan. I can't wait to go to hell and be with him. They're rare. There are some like that. And sometimes you see in the music industry, I sold my soul. There are people that really will say that. I don't even know how much they really believe it deep at the heart level. If they really understood hell, they wouldn't certainly say that. But let's, let's assume that a few, but aside from those very few gates, say they're saying this way to hell, almost all the other work of Satan does not say this way to destruction, this way to hell. No, the other roads, the broad roads, say this way to life. They say this way to fulfillment. They say this way to happiness. They say this way to health. They say this way to peace. They say this way to wealth. They say this way to success, this way to pleasure, this way to retirement, this way to religious harmony, this way to coexist. This road, well, some will say, some of the roads will even say, this way to God, this way to heaven. The scriptures say, even if an angel of light comes and shares with you a different gospel, don't believe it. If Satan would have no deceptive ability if he wasn't deceptive, that seems pretty redundant, doesn't it? That deception by its nature is to trick, to convince you this, you're on the road to heaven. Jesus is talking to people, say, you really believe, some of you in the crowd, he was saying, some of you in the crowd believe you're on a road to eternal life and you're actually not. Jesus kind of turns the question. Instead of just saying, yes, only a few will be saved, he actually takes the opportunity to say, the numbers are because there's so much deception that people are believing a lie as opposed to believing the narrow gate because the narrow gate is so narrow. You ever, heard, you ever been called narrow-minded as a Christian? Say, well, in one sense, we are. We believe in the narrow gate. We actually believe there's only one way to be saved. We actually believe there's only one way of repentance. But all these other roads, all these other roads, they're not the narrow way. Jesus said no one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. As I mentioned, uh, and Scott mentioned as well, we were up at the East Coast Pastors Conference. One of the gentlemen that spoke, he let off, our, let off the conference, was Tom Doyle. Uh, he was the pastor of a very, uh, very, uh, I'd say, I, I use the word successful, I guess, but uh, a, a church that was really vibrant in Colorado Springs. God was doing a good work there. But he felt led him and his wife to give up uh, that ministry, the pastoral ministry, to stop being a pastor, to enter into global missions. Specifically, God was calling him to go to none other than the happy-go-lucky Middle East. And that's where he's been for the last several years. 
And people say, you're crazy, you're putting your life on the line. They hate Christians, they behead, they kill, they, you know, all this stuff. He says, I, all that notwithstanding, if I go home to be with the Lord, I go home to be with the Lord. But who's going to reach these Muslims that are in darkness, that really believe that they're going to meet Allah, who is no God at all? So he entered that, but uh, while, he was, while he's been traveling back and forth, he talked about how traveling back and forth to Lebanon and into Syria and to uh, the Gaza Strip and to the, the West Bank and all these different places where it's predominantly uh, Islam. And by the way, you know, he, testimony after testimony from other pastors and stuff where we're seeing God do uh, amazing things, even with Muslims in this country coming to Jesus Christ. But he's told us one story uh, about a, a gentleman in Syria uh, that he was near death um, and he was in a completely unconscious state. And they, they, they really believed that he was just going to be a matter of time before he slipped into eternity and died. But while he was laying there about to die, unconscious, the doctors could do nothing more with him, this man says he has a dream, this Muslim man, Jesus comes to him. And he comes to him in his dream and says, you're healed. And he gets saved. So the Muslim nurses all come. This is, this is, this is very recently in Damascus, Syria. Muslim nurses all come in and they can't believe it. They run and get the doctors and they're talking to him. And they said, what happened? How? And he said, Jesus came to me. And they're like, well, that couldn't be because you're Muslim. So they go get the doctors. <laughs> the doctors all come in. They're Muslim too. And, then, and he tells the doctors. The doctors say, well, that's impossible. You're Muslim. We're, we're Muslims. We don't believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and all that stuff. We believe in Muhammad. An Iman came to you. He said, no, it wasn't an Iman. No, it was not an Iman. And they said, it had to be an Iman because you are a Muslim, we are Muslims, we're all Muslims. No, Jesus came in this room. He said, oh yes, he came and healed me and, I, and I've given my life to him. They said, we're going to go get the clerics. So they go get the Muslim clerics, they get in a Muslim Iman. Now the whole entourage comes in and they tell him, there's no way this happened. Muhammad must have sent you an Iman. No, it was not an Iman, it was Jesus. They're very getting flustered, and they finally say, how do you know it was Jesus? He said, that's easy. He had nail-pierced hands in his hands and feet. Why is that so significant? Because no other narrow way has a nail-pierced hands and feet Lord and Savior. All the other world religions have some dominating figure that was not a lamb slain. The narrow way is the nail-pierced hands and feet of Jesus. There's not another. This man, he could have had a thousand imams come to him in his dream, but they all would have been disqualified until one came with nail-pierced hands and feet and says, I am the one. And immediately when you see the real thing, all the others are the fakes that God says they are. Jesus warns in verses 25 through 28 of all the wrong gates people have entered or will enter. Um, the non-religious, those following false religions, those living strictly for themselves, which is basically the American mentality now is just to live for yourself. Uh, but we certainly have all the other religions as well. But he's not just speaking to those that are 
pagan or living for themselves, or those that are strictly following Hinduism or strictly following Judaism or strictly following Islam. He's not speaking just to those that are dedicated to the wrong faith or those dedicated to no faith at all. Jesus is also speaking to church-going people here. Church-going people. Those that are moral people. Even conservative Americans. Speaking to them too. He says, when once the master of the house has risen up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside, knocking at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, open to us, he'll answer, I do not know you or where you're from. And you'll say, but we, we ate and drank in your presence. We, we took communion. We, we took communion a lot of times. We, we went to church. Remember you taught in our streets or in our VBS or in this or that? You, you, were, you were with us, we were with you, we wore t-shirts, remember? Cool ones, really cool t-shirts, talked about you. And Jesus still says in verse 27, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Some of the saddest passages in scripture, aren't they? He's speaking to people that felt like they had some relationship with him. Because they said, we, we, we knew you. We, we listened to your teaching. We, we hung out together. And there's people that were still in the crowds with Jesus, but still hadn't put their full faith and trust in him. They were, just, they were still weighing the options, still thinking it over, still mulling it over. You know, this is true even in the pulpits, not just in America, but around the world. I've seen pastors and teachers, I've watched some recently, I've seen them using God's name in vain as it's some fun three-letter text. You know what I'm talking about, probably. Like it's some three-letter text that's just, it's fun. And I've seen some of them use his name in vain multiple times in the same message at no clue, apparently, of the Holy Spirit that God still hates when we use his name in vain. And he will not, that, that, that commandment says he will not hold them guiltless who keep taketh his name in vain. But I've seen some of these guys, but because they're super hip, and they're connecting with young people, and they're saying all these things, and it connects, they don't realize that they're not with the Lord at that time. They're against him, even though they're saying some scriptures. I've seen some espousing false doctrines as it espouses. You know, they've been asked in interviews, so... Uh, are, are only born-again Christians going to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say that. That's a false teacher. That's false doctrine. I've, and I've also seen some of these same folks preach outstanding, truth-filled, 100% true messages. This is how they fool people. Because people say, well, I turned on the TV, and I didn't see that. I, I, that night, I was at the Holiday Inn, and, well, well, and I watched it. It was the most beautiful message I've ever seen. I've seen them too, and I've also seen, well, you didn't watch the next night. Because the next night, they denied the Lord. or used. And so Jesus is saying, some of you have all of the trappings, and you've got some of it, but you're not, really not with me. And you're going to say, it, it, even we know that uh, Jesus says in another place, you'll say, Lord, do we not cast demons out in your name and do great signs and wonders and all these things. He said, I still didn't know you. Some of these teachers themselves may be lost. They're at the wrong gate. It's a narrow gate, isn't it? They're at the wrong gate. 
People are going through the wrong gate. And many, you know, it's just a sad situation. These Pharisees, you know, they didn't have the love of Jesus Christ. If they really were following him, they would have been transformed. They would have been joyful people. Well, if, um, I can't remember where I got the quote, but um, it says, the trouble with many men is they have just enough religion to make them miserable. Just enough religion to make them miserable. This is, this is what it's like to just have the presence of Jesus, but not follow him. Not put your faith and trust in him. Notice that the Muslim man, once he received, he couldn't be moved at all. He's full of joy. No, Jesus has saved me. He didn't have empty religion. It wasn't some sort of just uh, fake imitation. It was the real thing. But for those that have come humbly, believing the words of Jesus, following him, those that have truly asked him for forgiveness, you don't have to strive to... Uh, to make a way for salvation, Jesus made the way for salvation. He's saying remove all the obstacles and get there at the foot of the cross. When he says strive to enter the gate, he's just saying cut all the cords that would keep you from getting to the cross. He's done all the work. Amen? That's good news. He's done all the work. There's nothing more that we have to do. I, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. I've probably made mistakes. You probably count them down. I don't know. Yeah, you made, yeah, you made one from the pulpit three weeks ago or something like that. I'm kidding, you don't do that to me. But we, we're not going to be perfect. But entering the narrow gate is to humbly come to the foot of the cross. And instead of twisting the words of Jesus, we simply, by the Holy Spirit, follow the words of Jesus. And there are many of the people in Jesus' presence, they knew enough to be dangerous they didn't really want to totally follow him. And so they would then say, well, we took some of his teaching, but we really didn't take all of it. We really didn't follow him as Lord and Savior. But for those of us that really do, that really do repent, we really do come to the cross, we will get, as Jesus points out here, we'll get the opportunity someday to join the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Moses, all the saints of all the ages, we will someday, Jesus says, there will be a day when you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, he speaks of the fact that those that, that never really put their faith in him, they'll be thrust out. But verse 29, but then they, that will be all of us who are born again, will come from the east and the west and south and, and the north and will sit down in the kingdom of God. The first those who are last will be first. Those that are last, those that the world thinks, you guys, I can't believe you're wasting your life to follow the Lord. Do you see how nice it is out there today? You're stuck in here right now. You know how much yard work you could be getting done right now? Do you know that you could be working on your tan right now? Oh, that was an 80s thing we used to do a lot back then. Yeah, we put oil on it. We did really dumb stuff. But anyway, uh, I digress. But you know, you could be getting, you could be having, you could already have the grill fired up and you're stuck listening to Luke chapter 13 right now. That's what the world is saying. You took the, you took the dead last, most ridiculous waste of time position, but you said, but no, 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 no. 
But life is pretty short for all eternity. We're sitting with Jesus and the patriarchs and the angels of God, and we're rejoicing forevermore. And there's going to be a lot of better barbecues there than here. <laughs> this is what the future is for the believer. Jesus says, that narrow gate, it, it's really stifling because you've got to lay a lot of stuff down to even get through it. You can't come through the narrow gate with everything you have. You've got to lay it all down and get through that narrow gate. You ever, anyone ever been to like Disney World or Disneyland? And they put you through that security thing? They had, you know, those with bags over here, those without bags over here, right? You don't just get to cruise through with everything. And, that, and no, no one stops you at all, say, no, 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 I'm special, I just roll right through. You'll get a special place outside the park if you want to do that. But you have to lay it aside. And with the Lord, you don't just lay it aside and they look through it. You actually lay it aside altogether and you pass through, leave it behind. Things that say, well, your will is the number one thing. My will, we leave those things behind. Next portion of this text, um, Jesus explains that the way is narrow. He is that narrow way. It's full faith and trust in him. The punishment for rejecting him is great. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, hell is for eternity. But the reward of receiving him is, boy, is it worth it. Eternal life forever with the Lord. It seems like, it seems like the most simple choice a man could possibly make, and yet people weigh it for years. I did too. I didn't get saved until I was 25. I had in my mind when I thought I would die or whatever, but the Lord says, you don't even know what tomorrow holds. You better come to me while today is today. And I finally did, coming up in June, 20 years ago. And I'll be sharing my testimony in late June. 20 years ago, I said, Lord, I'm not waiting another day. Because I had been on the broad roads. Anyone else spend time on the broad road? I had tried a lot of different broad roads to, to find fulfillment. And to find, but not only could I not find fulfillment, I couldn't in any way know where I would spend eternity. Other than, well, I actually, at the end, I did know. I knew I'd spend it in hell. And it would be richly deserved because the Lord had certainly offered me uh, a way out. I finally took it. And I want to close with these three things uh, for us as believers. Um, but they still apply. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, there's application for you as well. These three things I want to close with, to be wise, to be working, and be willing. And I, they're brief, but I want to close with them. To be wise. The wisest decision a person can make is to come to Jesus Christ. People will wait. And I've never met a person that says, man, I wish I would have waited longer. I wish I would at least waited till I was 90 to come to Christ. I wanted to wait till that deathbed. I, I, I was certain how I, I knew how it would all go down. I wish I would have waited till I was 40 to get. No, no, everyone I've ever met that's truly born again says, I wish I would have come earlier. Why? Because there's a lot of mistakes we wouldn't have made, there's a lot of heartache we wouldn't have caught. We would have, wouldn't have caused. There was a lot of foolish things that, that just, you know, that maybe it was debt or credit cards or this or that or just living for ourselves and covetousness and relationships and all these things that we would have done differently. And thankfully the Lord says, don't worry about all that stuff. I've, I've put it all into the blood. 
just go forward. I'll restore the years the locusts have eaten away. And God does. He has this amazing way of helping us get past all the past mistakes. And when I got saved at 25, it's somewhere I can't understand. It was when God meant it to be. And another part tells me it was, I should have been sooner. But in eternity, future, past, God knows exactly where it is. And the point is, when you come, it's the wisest thing you could ever do. But the wisdom doesn't stop with salvation, does it? No. No, the wisdom continues with salvation. When you were a kid, you may have had someone say to you, if everyone else jumps off a cliff, are you going to jump off a cliff? I don't even know who said that to me. I probably had so many adults say it to me that I can't remember any one of them. But I had a number of them say that to me. And people will just follow a crowd. But when we come to Christ, we no longer follow a crowd. We follow the Lord. We don't follow a crowd. We don't follow popular opinion. We don't follow, well, everybody else thinks this is a great idea. Well, culture now says this is acceptable or the norm. None of these things are what we follow. We follow the Lord. Wisdom comes from God, not from man, not from we think we figured it out. We came to Christ. Remember, we came to Christ wisely in a desperate plea for God's mercy. I don't know if you remember your salvation well, but I know I came desperate. And I knew that, Lord, I need your mercy. Once we came, we had no reservations about the narrowness of the gate. At that time, we were simply happy to enter it. And so, Christian, once you've gone through the narrow gate, don't try and turn around and get back out of the narrow gate. Because time will wear and you'll kind of see everybody else. They're cruising on the broad road. They're doing really well. In Psalms, Asap had this problem. He's looking, you know, look, there's no, they, don't even, they don't even have pain in their death. He said their lives are so easy. And Jesus is saying, I, you, I want you to look. Narrow means you can, you can only look straight ahead. You keep looking at me. If you get your eyes off on everything else, You're going to get sidetracked. He said, stay in that narrow area. Continue to move forward, knowing that the, the things you wisely left outside the gate in the first place, Jesus hasn't changed his mind. He still wants them left outside. But people, we start to sometimes turn around. Remember Lot's wife? Boy, Sodom looks great. Don't look him back. Jesus said, anyone putting his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You went through the narrow gate. Keep moving through it. it. It'll stay narrow all the way to heaven. The road, while we're on this earth, once you get to that narrow gate, it's not like as soon as you get through the gate, all of a sudden you get about midway through and it's the Caribbean. White sand beaches. People coming up to you say, would you like something to drink? No, you're going to have to continue to give people something to drink. Jude one twenty one says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and unto eternal life. Keep yourself looking. Keep yourself in the flow of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at eternal life. It's wise to come to Christ. It's wise to stay there and to keep walking 
forward in that narrow gate. But what about others? It's also wise that we would care that other people haven't entered the narrow gate. See, Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. They couldn't see that there when he was in Samaria. They thought, well, it's not harvest time. He's like, what do you, look out. All those other people, because I won this one woman at the well to Christ, a ton of people in the whole city came to Christ. And Jesus said, you will be able to do the same thing if you're yielded to me. And not only should we be wise to come to the Lord, we should be wise to tell other people about the Lord. How do we know this? Well, Proverbs 11.30 says, he who wins souls is wise. I've never won a single soul. Start. I don't know how. Just tell people, hey, invite them to church. It's not so painful. Just say, I, I just, I just want to let you know what God's done in my life. Simply speak and be wise. You've got to care, but if we stay near the Lord, he'll, he'll give us his heart. It's wise to come and it's wise to win others. Be working. Jesus said, go tell that fox. That's a, a great name he came up for, Herod. It was actually a term that uh, you'll see in some of the rabbinical writings. It means someone who's crafty and not trustworthy. Well, that would certainly apply to Herod. Crafty and not trustworthy. Um, we might would say, boy, that guy's a snake. Similar, similar terms. By the way, uh, the scriptures tell us we're not, we're not allowed to go around just talking about people like this. Um, not in casual conversation. Remember one of Jesus' titles. He was a prophet. And when prophets speak as thus saith the Lord, this was God himself speaking through his son, calling out Herod as a very wicked man. Now prophets sometimes take like a Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who did call out Adolf Hitler, and a public setting as a prophet, he was doing the right thing. The right thing. Um, it is not right for Christians to just simply uh, have bumper sticker mentality in their conversations. Oh, I can't stand so-and-so. I can't stand this leader. I can't stand that leader. That's actually not of the Lord. That's not a prophet ministry. That's a gossip ministry, which is no ministry at all. So there's a difference. If the Lord has given you a prophet ministry, you, ha you have to sometimes say things you don't want to say. Because when Jesus said that fox, he's putting himself in even more danger. Because Herod really will take your head off. John the Baptist, right? So he says that tell him, since you guys are cozy with the, <laughs> the religious leaders, since you guys are so cozy with each other, you go back and tell him that I have a lot of work still to do. I've got demons to cast out. I've got cures. And I, but what Jesus is saying is, I'll come to the cross on the day that the Father gets me there. Tell Herod, I'll meet him soon enough. And he actually does one day, remember? Remember Herod and Pilate both meet him on the same day. Herod and Pilate couldn't stand each other until the day of the crucifixion, and then they became good friends. Common enemy. But he says, you tell him, I've got these things to do. And on the third day, again, this is metaphorically, Jesus is saying, why is he saying the third day? He was always looking to the cross, always looking to the cross. And there he actually is speaking of the resurrection as well. But we've got a mission. Once we've come to Christ, Jesus had a lifelong mission to go to the cross. We have a lifelong mission to complete. Do you believe that? We have a lifelong mission to complete. You know how it's completed? A series of tiny steps every day. 
What I did last week is part of my mission for all eternity. What I'll do this coming week, what you'll do day by day, week by week, sometimes it's monotonous, and yet it still will bear great fruit. Some of the things that you do that seem pointless, God still is working through them because we need to do it with the right heart, continually working and unto the Lord. At times we'll, we'll hear voices. You know, they told that the Pharisees, they weren't just uh, trying to... Uh, they weren't just trying to help Jesus out. They wanted Jesus to leave. And they knew that a threat from Herod was a good way to, hey, you've taught here long enough. Some of these people are starting to believe you. Get out of here. Herod's going to kill you. Get quick. Go. Go. Out of here. At times we'll have voices telling, of people telling us to go away. Just get away. Christian, get out of here. Get out of my life. Not always directly, but they'll make it very clear with their attitudes and actions. Right? They make, you ever heard someone speaking loud and clear without saying anything to you, their body language? You can, oh, I can tell you're very interested in what I'm talking about. Right? Some will, st some will tell you to stay when the Lord actually wants you to move. That's problematic as well. Some will want us to sit down and chill out for the next 15 to 20 years. Ah, do that Jesus stuff later. Do it, do it in 20 years when you're 60, or when you're 80 maybe. Then, then do that. But that right now, don't worry about that stuff. Let somebody else take care of that. Let somebody else do the work of serving, caring, feeding, sharing. Let somebody else do all that work. But he's called us. Us. Not everybody else. Us. Jesus said in John 9, 4, the night is coming when no man can work. We've got to work while the daylight hours are there. We've got to do our jobs now. Jesus continued to work until he got to the cross. I mentioned that Christ had time, but he made the time. Are we both undeterred in the mission while making time for people? It's always about people. We still have to make time for people. And lastly, be willing. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. He knows that these Pharisees have the same heart as Herod. They want Jesus dead as much as they think Herod would kill him. Because why? Down through the ages, they had killed prophet after prophet after prophet. Why? Because they wanted to silence the voice of God. They didn't want the narrow way. They wanted what? The broad way. The broad way is do it our way. The Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. Right? They wanted that broad way. Not Broadway, that's in New York too. But, you know. I think he sings about that too, Frank. But, uh, or did. The Broadway, that's what they wanted. And Jesus came, and, and, and he didn't come to persecute or make their lives miserable. He said, I've come to gather you as a, as a chick and puts her hands, puts the little chicks under her wings. And some of you in this church own chickens. I will not be owning chickens anytime soon, but some of you own chickens, and uh, you have the coop and all that stuff. And you know that um, if you have baby chicks, if the baby chicks stay outside and don't come in under the hen in the, at night, a fox, a possum, a raccoon will destroy them, right? Jesus is saying, I'm trying to keep you from being destroyed, and you are like, 
I don't want to hear it. I'm fine as a little chick running around in the woods. I'll be just fine out here. That's what the whole world, this is, the, this is literally what he's saying. He's saying, I'm trying to gather you. Uh, I mean, you, you've heard me when I was in the business world. I, regularly on a Monday, I'd have one of my coworkers. So those of you who knew, this is new for you. But those of you here, you've heard this about 50 times. That's okay. He would say, did you send anybody to hell this weekend? Because at that time, I was a bivocational pastor. And we would laugh about it because every time I'd say, all right, for the last time, I can't send anyone to hell. I can only tell them how to not go there. And he knew what my answer was going to be. So it became a funny thing. Every weekend, I'd come in, did you, who'd you send to hell this weekend? I said, no, no, no. The question is, who did I turn from hell this weekend? Be not me personally. I, ca I can't do anything to convince anyone. But the Holy Spirit speaking, because I've read God's Word. And God's Word can speak to you even if nothing I've said made sense today. The Lord can still make it make sense and still can connect with the heart and still call a person. Jesus is saying, I'm desiring to save you like little chicks. Little chicks are not real. They're, they don't have a good chance against a coyote. And we'll be destroyed, Jesus says. You will be utterly destroyed unless you come under my wing. Don't you want to be under his wing? I never want to leave from under his wing now. Now that I've come there, I don't want to leave there. But you have to, even when you come willing, you have to stay willing after salvation. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. I came willing, but I have to stay willing. Christian, we have to remain willing. Are we still as willing as we came? Or say, no, my heart's harder now than it was. I got saved in 1995. Is my heart as soft today as it was in 95? If it's not, then I'm less willing than I was when I came to Christ. And Jesus says, you have to be willing throughout. Does that make sense? Say, well, I was a really obedient employee when I first got hired, but now I don't do anything my boss says. It doesn't make any sense. It's not a good way to stay employed either. But the Lord says, to stay willing, to stay under my arm. It makes just as much sense for a chick to stand under its mother's wings in night one as it does in night seven. Does that make sense? It makes, it's just as important to continue to do where the safety is. We need to be willing. And I'll close with this. For all of us, are we willing to, be, are we willing to repent? If you're here and you don't know the Lord, are you willing to come to Christ for the first time? Those are your Savior. Are you willing to be healed? Maybe there's a burden you've been carrying. The Lord says, you don't have to carry that anymore. Isn't that great? You don't have to carry that anymore. You're willing to serve. You're willing to yield. Are you willing to pray? You're willing to care? You're willing to help? Willing to start again? Sometimes you have to start over. Lord, I, I just need to come back to the cross and restart. Willing to praise the Lord. Willing to give thanks. Willing to live for Christ. When the world is telling you, don't live for Christ. Jesus was, he was a bold and faithful witness, wasn't he? He didn't flinch. Whether it was Herod or the Pharisees. Why? Because his eyes were fixed on the Father. And we won't flinch if our eyes are fixed on him. I mean, our heart, our, our flesh will want to flinch, but the spirit will be stronger. The flesh is indeed as willing, but... Or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit, the more we yield to Christ, will override the flesh. And that's a great thing. John Owen said, 
there is a state of perfect peace with God which can be attained under imperfect obedience. I love that quote because I, I tell you, my obedience to Christ has never been perfect. Has yours? But there's still a state of perfect peace under imperfect obedience. I know what he means by that. Do you know what he means by that? He's saying that even when, you're, even when your parents said, go wash the car and you did your best and you missed a spot, it was, it was imperfect, but it was still obedience. Amen? And the Lord says, if you would just do what I said, you'll be safe under my arm. You can lay the burdens down. You can lay the shame down, the guilt down, the cares down, and all those things. And it's a narrow way, but it's worth it. Let's close. Father, we thank you this morning for this time in your word. We thank you, Lord, that your narrow way is exclusive, but... Lord, all your promises are 100% faithful and true. And that all the other ways, Lord, that we could go, the ways of our own mind, the ways of other men, the ways of other religions, the ways of personal pleasure or whatever it may be, all those other ways, Lord, end in heartache and even eternal, eternally lost from you. And we thank you that you've come with nail-pierced hands and your nail-pierced hands and nail-pierced feet. And you didn't just point to the narrow way. You laid down your cross, laid down on a cross to be the narrow way. And Lord, we want to wisely continue to follow in that narrow path. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that's never entered the narrow gate, I pray that they would do so even this morning, even this early afternoon before we close in song if there is anyone to say, I, I, I've heard of this narrow gate, I've heard the claims of Christ but unlike that Muslim man you told about, I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord, my Savior but I want to do so today and if that's you Wise decision, just stand right where you're at. Don't worry about what anyone thinks. We've had people come to Christ here and we've seen God transform their lives. Radically different. I'm just one of many. I don't know all your testimonies. I look forward to learning them all one by one eventually. But the few that I know here, I know that none of you would go back to where you came from, that the other gates and the other roads. If there's anyone at all, just stand right where you're at. Don't put it off. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. And for you Christians, three things we talked about. Be wise. Keep staying on that narrow path of the Lord. Don't get sidetracked by what the world's constant message is. Continue to work under the Lord. Not working for our salvation. We don't have to do that, thankfully. But working it out. And lastly, continue to stay willing. As soft as when we came to Christ, stay willing and stay under the safety of His arms. Amen?